0: Today on Abounding Grace, we're encouraged by the truth that God knows what's
1: going to happen ahead of time. If God knows what's happening ahead of time, then when Jesus tells us not to worry, but to trust God, this is one of the attributes that we trust God in. He knows. It's all in the Lord's hands. He has perfect knowledge of what's up ahead, not only tomorrow, but the next day and the next day.
0: This is amazing grace
1: some say
0: Others have wondered what it would be like to know the future. While it would be super cool in some cases, I suppose, no doubt it would be a little scary in others, wouldn't it? While our knowledge of what's ahead is limited to what God chooses to tell us, the Lord knows all things, past, present, and future. And as we'll learn today on Abounding Grace, that can bring comfort and encouragement to our lives. Pastor Ed Taylor has an eye on 1 Kings 12, 15 today as we pull back the curtain on a precious doctrine, God's
1: foreknowledge. 1 Kings chapter 12 and Romans chapter 8, because you'll recall when we were in 1 Kings chapter 12, there were a couple verses that we wanted to pause on and expand just a little. Notice in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 15... The Bible says, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of affairs was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Then notice verse 24. Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. And these scriptures and these truths cause great difficulty for some because it sounds like we have no free will and no opportunity to make a choice, that we just need to deal with fate. And yet, there is the sovereignty of God and the power of God taught in the scriptures as God reveals himself and his sovereignty. And there's also the ability that God has given to you and me to make a free will decision that we will be wholly responsible for. And these are parallel truths that are taught throughout the scriptures without any attempt by God to reconcile them. One of the great difficulties that we face is when we try to reconcile them. So in the next few studies here on our midweek Bible study, we're going to look at two important doctrines. The doctrine of foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge, and the doctrine of predestination. So take a trip with me down to Romans chapter 8 as we're introduced to this glorious topic in Romans chapter 8, God's foreknowledge. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we learn a very powerful truth. It says in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 28. In Romans, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing is wasted by God, nothing in our lives. He's working, and you mark that word in verse 28, you can circle it. It doesn't say most, it doesn't say many, it says all. God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. Well, what is that purpose? What is the calling of God and the ultimate purpose for your life? Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. As a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are being changed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. He's not making us into our parents, and he's not making us into some pastor we look up to. He's not looking to make us into some role model we have. We are being fashioned and formed from the inside out into the very image of Christ. Paul would declare to the church in Corinth that we are new creations in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So today, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a new life with a new hope, with a new direction, with a new power, and with a new purpose. That's the work of God ongoing. It wasn't just the moment you were saved, but this is the ongoing work of God in your life until when? We're conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work in your life and in mine. So there is that pressure in our world today to be conformed into a different image, to be molded and shaped into the image of this world. While God is molding us into Jesus, the world is attempting to mold us into its own image. God uses everything that comes into our lives, everything that he sends into our lives, and he works them together. Not everything's good. And we've done deep studies in that verse, but for the context of our time today, not everything is good. But God is working all things together for our good and for his ultimate glory, that his name would be glorified. Even though some of the things that we taste in life are bitter and sour and hurtful, for the believer in Jesus Christ today, you can have the confidence that nothing is wasted. Not one small thing is wasted in your life. That God is working it together for good. So what's God's plan and how does it work together? Well, there are really five things that we're going to look at two of them in the next few weeks, but there's really five things that God is doing in our lives that pertain to number one, his foreknowledge, number two, predestination, number three, his calling. We often speak a lot about our calling, but it's really his calling in our lives. Number four, justification and how he works that work of justification in our lives, and then fifthly, our glorification, and that's the path that we're on. Those other studies are all contained in uh, that series in Romans, so you can pick the rest of them up, but for the sake of our time in Kings, I want to pull back the curtains on God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge. The Bible says here in verse 29, for whom he foreknew. This speaks of God's omniscience, or his knowledge of everything. If God is God, as he defines himself, that means if God knows anything, he knows everything. If God knows anything, he knows everything. And it's true that God knows everything about everything. Theologically, we would put it this way, in a technical way. God knows all things, both actual and possible, past and present, and future, completely, perfectly, simultaneously, and eternally. Now, that's some serious knowledge. He knows it all. From any angle that you come from, God has all knowledge. We don't have foreknowledge. Don't you wish you did, though? But those of you that wish you did, if you knew it was really coming up ahead, it would bum you out today. And so God has been gracious to not give us foreknowledge. God has it, we don't. I mean, if we had foreknowledge and we knew a tough time was coming, don't you think we would go around it? Even though God, he knows ahead of time and he doesn't take us around it, he takes us through it. Why? Because he, know what's be- he knows what's best for us. We don't know the future, but God does. Turn over to Hebrews chapter four, verse 13. Verse 13. The Bible speaks often of God's foreknowledge. Notice Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It's not simply the ability to know ahead of time. God, He has and contains all the knowledge that there is, which is a wonderful thought. Chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, There is no creature hidden from His sight. And what does your Bible say? All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How much is open to God? All things. All things. Turn over to Psalm 147, verse 5. Psalm 147, verse 5. I know for many of you this is merely a review, but for some of you this is comforting new knowledge that God is giving to you about his character and his nature. And he doesn't simply want you to learn this knowledge. He wants you to live as if you know that God knows, which will do what? Build your faith. If God knows what's happening ahead of time, then when Jesus tells us not to worry, but to trust God, this is one of the attributes that we trust God in. He knows. It's all in the Lord's hands. He has perfect knowledge of what's up ahead, not only tomorrow, but the next day and the next day. Notice verse 5 of Psalm 147. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. Mark this phrase. His understanding is what? Infinite. Infinite. Can you imagine having infinite understanding? Beyond our ability to comprehend, the Lord lifts up the humble and he casts down the wicked to the ground. God knows everything about everything. His knowledge is absolute, and his knowledge is unacquired. God doesn't learn anything. Jot it down in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. God is a God of knowledge. The knowledge that he himself possesses. He never learns anything and knows everything there is to know about everything. And we often use that word omniscient, all knowing. Now when it comes to foreknowledge, I need to warn you at this point of a very popular doctrine that has been floating around recently. You may or may not have heard it, but I want to equip you in case you do. It's known as the doctrine of open theism. Open theism. And this is the teaching, and I believe an unbiblical teaching, that with the idea that God is not omniscient, but rather he is learning things as we learn things. Now, how would you like to serve a God like that? God, I'm praying for what's up ahead, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, Lord. Meet me there. And God's saying, well, oh, I have no idea what's going to happen either. And they use a couple verses. Let me show you one just so I can explain it to you. Turn over to, with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is a popular verse that the open theist will take you. And this, this theology, this human-centered theology has taken root in many, many seminaries today and taught to be biblical. And this is one of the proof texts that they use, Genesis chapter 22. Pick up with me in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. And here's the phrase that they key on. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And so Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And so they say, here's the phrase, now I know. And they interpret that as the angel of the Lord gaining brand new knowledge that they didn't have before. Now is God learning something here? Not in the least. God knew all along his plan for Isaac, and we see that back in chapter 22 of Genesis verses one through four. It was a test for Abraham and Isaac to learn from, not God. Let me put it this way. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's go into, uh, as our Calvary Academy is about to graduate, our kindergartners tomorrow. They're graduating from kindergarten. And our graduation from our eighth graders. We've got a graduating class of eighth graders. So let's say we go into the kindergarten class, and we have the math teacher teaching our kindergartners some math. And actually, it doesn't work with kindergartners, so let's work with—maybe I need to change the math. Okay, so let's just change the math. So we come into the little kindergartner class, and they're all so cute, and they got their little hats on, and they're ready to graduate to— first grade. But before you do, you got to finish this math problem. You don't graduate kindergartners unless you finish this math problem. So the teacher comes in and says, okay, little Johnny, let's see if we can figure this out. Let's figure this problem out together. What is one plus one? Hmm, the teacher says. Well, little Johnny's not sure how many fingers he has. And he's looking and he's thinking one plus one and one plus one. And so he finally comes up and says, one plus one is two, teacher. And the teacher says, now we know that the answer to one plus one, Johnny, is two. Now, by the teacher saying that, is the teacher now for the first time in her life learning that one plus one is two? Not at all. She's simply using language to encourage little Johnny of something that he just learned or affirmed that he knew. We use language like that all the time, where we have knowledge ahead of time, but as someone else discovers the same knowledge, we will then come alongside of them, and now we know. Parents do it all the time. Now we know. It's not necessarily a a statement of new knowledge for the person that already knows, Open theism, I believe, is to be rejected. It is not a true teaching of the scriptures. God over and over again reveals himself clearly and absolutely as all-knowing. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. And as I said before, theologically, the technical phrase that we need to hold on to is God knows all things, both actual and possible, past and present and future, completely, perfectly, simultaneously, and eternally. Let me just say, you don't want to worship a false god who doesn't know everything. You will be in big trouble. Foreknowledge of God is amazing. It's so powerful and comforting. It's a comforting doctrine. Our God who knows all things is then able to fulfill His purpose and work all things together for good in His glory. Only a God of all knowledge could do that, knowing the end result. So it makes sense that God knows who will be saved. God knows that ahead of time, even before we were born. Turn over to Psalm 139, verse 13. It makes sense that God would have the knowledge of salvation in the lives of those who turn to Him. Before we even know it. Notice Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. We don't possess foreknowledge, so we don't know. But God does, and so He knows. Notice Psalm 139, verse 13. For you have formed my inward parts, you have covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written the day's fashioned for me, when yet as there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God says in Psalm 139 that he knows how many days we're going to live. He knows ahead of time. Not only how many days we're going to live, but also those that we love. He knows ahead of time. We don't. That's why it's tragic and sudden when we lose a loved one. We don't know the days, but God does. So that when we come back to Romans chapter 8, with this foreknowledge... Paul would teach us today, he would say, not only does God know how many days you're going to live, but notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Within his foreknowledge is the work of his predestination. And the question has to be is, how big is your God? Because throughout history, man has fashioned God in his own image. Paul would say that earlier in Romans chapter 1. Man is a... man is an idol factory, fashioning idols after our own image for our own purposes, seeking satisfaction from someone or something other than the rest of Jesus Christ, the rest that he promises. Isn't that what he promises? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say that rest is for your souls. How does a soul rest? But through salvation. (laughs) That's the only rest a soul will ever experience is through knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that your life has been made right with God. How faithful he is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says that there there are those who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In Kyoto, Japan... There's an unusual place of worship called the Temple of the Thousand Buddhas. On display inside the shrine are more than a thousand likenesses of Buddha, each just a little different from the others. And it's set up this way so that someone that's following Buddha can come in and find the statue that most looks like himself in order to worship that particular Buddha, the one that looks most like themselves. Very sad indeed. God in his foreknowledge predestines. That's the mechanism of which God acts. You can say that God does everything through his foreknowledge. Why? Because he knows all things at the same time. He's outside of our time space continuum. You and I experience life on a line, day by day, week by week, beginning to end. God is outside of time and is able to see everything all at the same time. If you and I could totally comprehend God, then why need him? we would be his equal. But the Bible declares, and God himself says, he has no equal. And by his, own, by his own fiat and action, he's proven to us he has no equal. None whatsoever. God should be a little incomprehensible, a little beyond the rationale of God, or excuse me, the rationale of man, a little beyond our understanding. Be weary, of anyone that comes to you that says they perfectly understand God. That's impossible. That's impossible for us. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, it says, Oh, both the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now that really helps us and encourages us in tough times as we all face tough times. We have to ask, do we have a really big problem and a very small God? Or do we have a really big problem and a really big God? Or do we have a really big God and all problems are small compared to him? God is infinitely larger and smarter than us. Can I get an amen on that? We can trust a God who knows all things. It's his attribute. He can handle everything that comes our way. He can remain faithful when we're faithless. He can work in it. He can work through it. He can work it together. He can make sure that nothing's wasted. So why? We hit the end goal. What's the end goal? The end goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That work is not just an outward accumulation of knowledge and growth. It is an inward work inside.
0: We've been looking at the Old Testament book of First Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org or request the CD for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-304-7223. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation, and Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus' Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877 30 Grace or make a secure donation online at CalvaryAurora.org. If you'd rather write, our address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado 80013. We'll return to First Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace.